Well, good morning. Merry Christmas. What what did you get for Christmas yesterday? This is for those of you who are not in the know, the camo snuggie. And it was a gift. <laughs> I feel like a monk. I don't know what <laughs> This is a gift from Pastor Mark at the office Christmas party to me. And uh I know what Mark's getting next year. <laughs> you know, actually it's pretty practical because it's kept me warm back there. Today it's cold. But, you know, what is it? You know, what is it about people? They like to see you look stupid, right? Or look uh, funny. I know if you're a fan of the Snuggie, you just felt that that was, like, wrong of me to say. But, you know, usually wear this in the comfort of your home. Right now I feel like you're in my living room, you know? Because, like, so I, I'm going to take this off because that makes me feel a little uncomfortable. But uh, this reminds me, though, my, my aunt likes to see other animals look uh, funny, too. So she sends my dogs. I have uh, three dogs. She sends them clothes to wear on Christmas, and uh, I have a picture of that, too. And uh, right up here, there we go. Yeah, they're Boston Terriers. This is Max. He's the dad, and uh, he's wearing his little thing. This is Emmy, and she's the mom. And then these are two of their puppies that they had a litter like a year, a little over a year ago. And we kind of kept him, and we've given him the clever name of Puppy. So... Uh, and this is Layla, and we were babysitting her. And yesterday, uh, we had one other puppy over there. So there was actually five of them in our house. And there were people in our house, and the dogs are going crazy because they hadn't seen each other in a while. And they're running around and, you know, sniffing each other and wrestling and arguing, doing all sorts of stuff. I mean, it was like bedlam. It was just like stuff going on everywhere. Uh, it was crazy. And, like, dogs are kind of like that. You guys have dogs? You know, they just get excited. They're, they're so... Uh, you know, hyper. And this, this little one right here, she is so cute. And she's kind of standing in the foreground here, but she is actually tiny. She's like half the size of the other ones. And she is adorable. She's like a little mini. And then I see her, and we're babysitting her, and I walk over, and she sees me coming, and the little tail starts wagging, and she gets even more cute. And then I start talking in that baby talk thing. I'm like, oh, you're so cute. You know, why, why do we say that, right? Why do we talk in baby talk to animals? It's like, I'm a grown man. Come on. But I couldn't help it. She was so cute. So I, I go over there and I go to pick her up and then she squirts all over me. She pees all over me. She's so excited, you know. And uh, dogs are just like that. I'm wondering why she hasn't gotten trained yet like that. But she's that way. When we, I remember back, it, was, it brings back the old memories when we had them all at our house. And we had like a bed and we had them in the back room and stuff. And as they grow, you know, they teeth and they just get crazy, right? When they're around you, they pretty much kind of behave. But when you like leave for a while and you come back, there's something always like gone or missing or torn up. I mean, we'd go outside and be blankets that are shredded, our best blankets. And I'd be like, we can't leave these around anymore, you know, or the stuffed animals or pillows. Those are the worst because then I have to walk in the backyard and there's like puffs of that stuffing everywhere. Right. Well, one day, I mean, I was gone and, you know, I returned home to find this picture of Layla. She after her destruction, and the evidence is right there. I'm like, can you not sleep right near the evidence of what you just destroyed? And she's just like tuckered out right there. And that's what I found. And like during that period of our lives, it was like total chaos every time we came home. It was like, what are we going to find next? Is there going to be pee on the floor, a little poop I got to clean up? And then they're teething so like they would chew our new furniture. I'm like, we just bought that, don't you know? You know, and somehow like, they didn't know. But uh, 
That's what happens. And it seemed like we were going from one big mess to the other. Have you guys ever felt that way? Especially the last couple weeks. You guys feel like a little bit of chaos is going on? Who shopped on Friday here? Anyone shop on Friday? Come on, admit it, people. I was walking around with my wife, and I'm telling you, we went to parking lots. There were no parking spots. I mean, it was crazy. It was like, I'm trying to get spots, and it's like, that's when you want to say choice words to people, you know? And I'd go, hey, I'm telling my wife, she's in the car. I'm like, hey, that was my spot. She's like, no, 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 they were there first. I'm like, whose side are you on anyway, hon? They used to be on my side. Um, But, man, it's crazy. It's just chaos. Who's had, like, a chaotic last year? Crazy last year, right? No peace in your life. It's just one thing after another. And that happens, too. You see, the thing is, um, people are always seeking peace in their life. And they're living in chaotic situations. People are walking around with ulcers from worry and stress. Um, Things don't seem to go always the way we want. If you want to get stressed out, I mean, just jump on the Palmetto. That'll do it right away. Or you get on 95 down by Miami. Finding peace in our lives sometimes can seem so elusive. And that's what I'm going to be talking about today. The things that lead to chaos in our lives and the things that lead to peace. And I'm not talking about just peace and quiet or no messes to clean up or something's happening to our stuff kind of thing. I'm talking about true inner peace. You see, true inner peace is something that everyone searches for. Major religions are based on finding inner peace, aren't they? They recite mantras and do meditations just so we can find harmony in our lives. I mean, and that's what commercials are telling us too. That's what they're suggesting. We just want Calgon to take us away. And some of you older people might know that. If you're younger, you can ask someone else. And yet some of us, true peace just seems like out of reach for some of us, doesn't it? We have like a restlessness. And what if I told you, though, that you could have inner peace today? That you could find inner peace in your life. You see, the Bible teaches us there is a way that leads to chaos and that leads to loss of control. But the Bible also teaches us there is a way that leads to contentment in our inner soul. Today we're concluding the series, Heroes and Villains, the study through the book of Judges. And we're going to cover the last three chapters, 19 through 21. So if you have a Bible today, I'd like you to open up to chapter 19. And I'm going to warn you, because it's three chapters, I'm going to not read it all. Some I'm going to summarize and we're going to skip around. So I want you to be prepared to jump from Scripture to Scripture. But I also want to let you know that today's message is going to be a bit rated R. And it's not because I'm going to swear up on stage, or at least I hope I won't. But it is because of what we're going to find in the Bible in this area of the book of Judges. You see, if you've been in our growth groups this last fall, then you've been studying the book of Judges and you know what's, what's coming. You know what we're going to read about today. But if you haven't, you may be a little bit shocked. You may be a little bit surprised today to find out that something like this actually exists in the Bible because this, these are some of the most crazy chapters that exist within the Bible. And these chapters are marked by anything but peace. And so without further ado, let's begin in chapter 19, verse 1. Here we go. And it came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel, that there was a certain Levite staying in the remote mountain, mountains of Ephraim. He, looked, uh, he took for himself a concubine from Bethlehem in Judah. But this concubine played the harlot against him and went away from him to her father's house at Bethlehem in Judah and was there four whole months. 
Then her husband arose and went after her to speak kindly to her and bring her back, having his servant and a couple of donkeys with him. So she brought him into her father's house. And when the father of the young woman saw him, he was glad to meet him. Now his father-in-law, the young woman's father, detained him, and he stayed with him three days. So they ate and drank and lodged there. This is the beginning of our story. There's this Levite guy, he's a priest from the tribe of Levi, and he has a concubine, basically was a living mistress. And this living mistress apparently has cheated on him. And so I guess she got sick of him and goes back to her father's house. And so after about four months, he kind of misses her. So he says, I'm going to go visit her and bring her back. So he goes to visit the father. And the father sees him and welcomes him into the house and is like, hey man, I'm glad you're here. You can take care of my daughter now. So he stays with the dad for like three days and they eat and they drink and they have a good time. And then after the third day, the fourth morning comes, he wakes up and he gets ready to go. And the father says to the man, hey, why don't you just hang out for a little bit? Why don't you just chill with me? You know, have some breakfast, have some coffee. We'll talk. And that led to lunch and that led for a few drinks. And then after that, the evening started to come and he's like, hey, you can't leave now. Why not just stay over another day? So the guy stays over another day. And the fifth morning comes, he wakes up and he gets ready to go. And he says, hey, before you go, eat some fruit, refresh your soul, hang out, let's have a few laughs. And so that's what they begin to do. And again, the day starts to slip by. And it's getting on toward dark or toward evening. And the guy goes, hey, listen, I got to go. And the, the father says, hey, why don't you stay? And he says, no, 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 I can't this time. I have to go. I'm leaving. So it's still daylight out and he leaves and he starts to head back to where he's from. And as he's going, he's traveling, he sees it's starting to get dark. He sees one city and he goes, no, this is not an Israelite city, so I'm not going to stay here. But then he sees another one of the tribe of Benjamin. It's called Gibeah. And there this city, he goes in there and he goes, surely I'll stay with them. So he goes inside and he waits at the, the center of the city. Now, there was no holiday inns at those times. There was no Marriott's that you could just check into. And people were really prized that they were hospitable. And so it would be common that someone would just take you into their home and keep you for the night and provide for you. But nobody's taking them in. And so it gets dark. And this old man comes in from off the fields and he walks into the center of town. And he sees him and he's like, hey, why don't you come stay with me? So he takes them to his house and they begin to eat and begin to enjoy themselves. And I want you to read this with me because here's where the story begins to get really crazy. Verse 22. As they were enjoying themselves, suddenly certain men of the city, perverted men, surrounded the house and beat on the door. They spoke to the master of the house, the old man, saying, Bring out the man who came to our house, to your house, that we may know him carnally. That means they want to rape him. But the man, the master of the house, went out to them and said to them, No, my brethren, I beg you, don't act so wickedly, seeing this man has come into my house. Do not commit this outrage. Look, here is my virgin daughter and the man's concubine. Let me bring them out now, humble them, and do with them as you please. But to this man, do not, do, not do such a vile thing. But the man would not heed him. So the men, the men would not heed him. So the man took his concubine and he brought her out to them. And they knew her and abused her all night until morning. And when the day began to break, they let her go. Then the woman came as the day was dawning and fell down at the door of the master's house where her master was till it was light. When her master arose in the morning and opened the doors of the house and went out to go his way, there was his concubine fallen at the door of the house with her hands on the threshold. And he said to her, get up, let's be going. But there was no answer 
she had died. So the man lifted her onto the donkey, and the man got up and went to his place. And when he entered his house, he took a knife, laid hold of his concubine, and divided her into twelve pieces, limb by limb. And he sent her throughout all the territory of Israel, so that it w- so it was that all who saw it said, No such deed has been done or seen from the day that the children of Israel came up from the land of Egypt until this day. Consider it and con- confer and speak up. Man, I don't know about you, that's crazy. That's unbelievable. I mean, I was reading this, I'm like, are you sure this is the Bible? I mean, I was checking the cover, you know? This is more like a scene out of the movie Saw, right? I mean, it's gory, it's sick. It's as bad as any horror movie that we see today. And I'm like, this is the Bible? Are you for real? It's like everybody is going crazy. I mean, doing whatever they want to do. This guy, he's got a living mistress with him. And his mistress doesn't seem to care, so he's just cheating on him. And so they go to the city where hospitality is the thing that reigns, and yet no one's going to take them in. No one seems to care. He finally gets to a house, and they get surrounded by a group of men who want to rape the man. They don't care about the woman. They want to rape the man. And then, this is what I think is really even crazier. The guy who owns the house says, hey, take my virgin daughter instead. Like, that's even better. And he's like, hey, take the concubine too. I'm like, what? Is there anybody here that is like good or that cares anymore? It's like the whole world has gone crazy. I mean, I was thinking about this. Was it that long ago, really, that they got the law, the commandment from God? I mean, let's think about this. They came through the desert with Moses, and then Joshua was there in the land, and then there's this series of judges, and bam, it seems like they don't even remember the law anymore. They don't even care. These books, the book of Judges, these stories are some of the darkest in the whole history of Israel. This is what life had become for them when they turned from God and what God had taught them. Now listen to how the Bible describes this time period. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in his own eyes. Judges 19 is a picture for you and me of what it's like when people do whatever they want in their own eyes. I mean, it's chaos. Here's the first thing I want to tell you about finding peace in your life, if you pull out your outline. Number one, peace comes from keeping God's commands. Peace comes from keeping God's commands. We're sometimes under the idea that the law brings chains for us, right? That it's restricting us. It binds us. It takes away our freedom. Don't do this. Don't do that. And in some sense, that's true. But ultimately, it is keeping us from reaping the harm that we would cause ourselves from our own actions. Let me, let me explain, tell you a little story. When I was in high school, when I was young, uh, I dislocated this pinky right here, and it was sticking out this way at a right angle. It was so severe that I tore the ligament on the inside, and they needed to cut it open and retie it and, and do surgery. So, you know, over the course of time, I got to, I'm in the hospital, and for this surgery, they didn't put me to sleep. Instead, what they do is they, uh, they, did me a, they do a local anesthetic. And what they do when they do a local is they tie like a, a rubber band around your arm, like the guys who shoot up heroin, except they don't release it so that the, uh, the circulation dies. And then they shoot like uh, uh, the, the uh, anesthetic in there. 
And now, after a while, your arm is like, you never fall asleep on your arm and you wake up and it's like this floppy dead piece of flesh like this, you know? And that's what my arm was. And so they kind of covered it up and they did the surgery. And then when they're done, you know, they release the thing and they're taking me in the gurney down the hallway. And she says, even though we didn't put you to sleep, you still have to go to the recovery room and wait for a couple hours until we see that you're okay. She says, you know, your arm, you can't control it. And so you're going to have to wait for that. And listen, I want to warn you, if you don't pick up your arm, don't do anything with it because you can't control it and you might hurt it or hurt yourself. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, right. You know, I'm like, what? I got to try this. So as we're going down the hallway, I'm laying on the thing like this. And I'm like, all right, I'm picking this sucker up. And I picked it up and I have this huge, they put this giant cast on for a pinky. I have no reason to know why. And so I let it go, see if I can control it because I thought I could control it. And wham, I smacked myself right in the face with the cast. You know, and I think I heard her snicker. And I'm like, oh, man, I tried to, like, cover it up and put it back down, you know. And I'm like, why didn't I listen to this lady? She was telling me this for my own good. You know, the law was given by God not to restrict you, but to protect you uh, from harming yourself and from others. Listen, God doesn't want to control you through the law. He wants to save you through the law. He wants to protect us from any harmful decisions that we would make. Listen, just like gravity is a law for each one of us, so the laws of God are the same way. Is anyone here? Can anyone here fly? If you think you can, set up an appointment with me later, okay? But listen, every one of us is subject to the law of gravity in the same way we're subject to God's laws. What is correct for you is correct for me, and what's correct for me is correct for you. The problem comes is when we don't think that the law applies to me, right? That's when it starts to be a problem. Like my arm, all suddenly I can control it where no one else can. You see, somehow we think we're special sometimes, and we don't think we're like everybody else. We'll be able to somehow escape the pain and the consequences from our actions, even though we know we're not supposed to do it. You know, I know that the Bible warns me about this, but I think I'm going to be all right. Some of us think we have like a special relationship with God, right? Uh, you know what, God, uh, he and I were like buddies. He knows, it's a, I know, he knows my heart. He knows that I, I know I'm not going to do this right, but he, he knows my heart. Listen, the truth is he knows your heart. It's true. But maybe you don't know your heart. Listen to this verse. It says this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. Notice God points out that he judges the fruit of the person's doing, not the fruit of their thinking. A lot of times we say, you know what? I had good intentions. Intentions don't matter. It's what you actually do. Listen to how Jesus actually says this. Listen to this for a minute. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. What you actually do is who you are. It's not what you're thinking. It's actually what you do. Have you guys ever said this to yourself? And I do, I've said this to myself, by the way. I say sometimes, I know what I just did. Okay, I know I just did that, but that's not really me. Right? Anyone said that? I have. And there's something, you know, I'm saying, oh, yeah, yeah, I know I did that, but that's not me. But God is saying, listen, if you did that, then that's what's your heart. That's, that's really you. I've got news for you. That's who you really are. 
And a lot of times we try to forget that because we're like, oh, no, no, I don't want to obey. I don't want to do this. But really, I'm this good person. And God's saying, no, no, no. What you're actually doing is actually what's in your heart. And now maybe you'll understand that better. This verse is, this is convicting to me all the time because when I think I've done that and I'm about to say that in my mind, I think back and I go, you know what? No, I'm not. I'm actually what I just did. Listen, despite, the Bible tells us, you and me, not to be fooled by this. To not let ourselves think it's all right for everybody else, but I'm different. That I got a special relationship. Listen to this verse. It says this, so that there may not be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations and that there may not be among you a root of bitterness, bearing bitterness or wormwood. And so it may not happen when he hears the words of this curse that he blesses himself in his heart saying, I shall have peace even though I follow the dictates of my heart as though the drunkard could be included with the sober. God's being very specific, saying, listen, you don't say that in your heart. Because the same law applies for every single person. And the book of Judges stands as a warning for us to seek God's way, not our own. It's filled with example after example. The, the, the book of Judges reads like a roller coaster ride of unease and unrest constantly. And yet God wants to give you peace. It's true. He wants you to have peace. That's why he gave you the law. To save us from ourselves and from our own foolish decisions. God wants you to avoid the heartache that our own way can bring instead of His. He wants you to experience peace in your life. Now this verse is your memory verse today. And if there are a few verses that you should remember, it's this one. And this verse also comes with a promise. Listen to it. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length, for length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. God's saying, listen, you want long life and you want peace in your life? Then follow my commands. Listen, we have to continue in the story. We're going to pick it up in chapter 20, verse 1. So all the children of Israel came out from Dan to Beersheba, as well as from the land of Gilead, and the congregation gathered together as one man before the Lord at Mitzpah. And the leaders of all the people of all the tribes of Israel presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 foot soldiers who drew the sword. So all these people, back to our story, they get a piece, all the tribes of Israel get these pieces of this woman's body. I mean, can you imagine UPS coming to your house this Christmas and you open up the box and what do you see? You know, they're like, this is unbelievable. This is horrible. What is going on? And it draws their attention so much. They all gather together and they get the Levite guy there and they're going, we're all here. This is crazy. What happened? And so he's like, listen, he tells them the story of everything that had happened. And he says, okay, you see now, you know the story. What are you going to do about it? And they said, you know what? We need to go talk with the men of Gilead, excuse me, Gibeah, and see what's going on. So they surround the city with 400,000 men. And while they're there, let's, I want you to see this for yourself. Verse 11, it says this. So all the men were gathered against the city, united together as one man. Then the tribes of Israel sent men throughout all the tribe of Benjamin, saying, What is this wickedness that has occurred among you? Now, therefore, deliver up the men, the perverted men who are in Gibeah, that, they may be put, that may be, we may put them to death and remove the evil from Israel. 
But the children of Benjamin would not listen to the voice of their brethren and the, the children of Israel. Instead, the children of Benjamin gathered together from their cities in Gibeah to go to battle against the children of Israel. And from their cities at that time, the children of Benjamin numbered 26,000 men who drew the sword, besides the inhabitants of Gibeah who numbered 700 select men. Among all these, listen to these guys, among all these people were 700 select men who were left-handed. Everyone could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss. Now besides Benjamin, the men of Israel numbered 400,000 men who drew the sword. All of these were men of war. So 400,000 guys, they come up, they surround Gibeah, they go to all the Benjamin guys and tribes and they say, listen, hand over the guys that were bad. And they refuse to do it. So then they go to the Lord. Lord, what should we do? And they seek the Lord. And he says, all right, well, should we go to war? He says, yes, go ahead and go to war. So they line themselves outside the city of Gibeah. And they wait there to fight. And the men of Gibeah, this elite force, and these guys, 26,000 against 400,000, they come out and they beat these guys and 22,000 of the men of Israel fall. And the, the, the tribe of Benjamin goes back into the city. And they're like, what just happened? We just got our butts kicked. So they go to the Lord and they pray and, they got, and he says, shall we go again? And they said, yes. So he goes and they wait. And then again, the next morning, the, the tribe of Benjamin comes back out and they kill 18,000 of Israelite troops and they go back in. And now Israel's like, oh my God, what are we doing? And so all the people of Israel fast and they pray and they sacrifice burnt offerings to God and they say, what shall we do? And God says, go again tomorrow and this time I will deliver them into your hands. And so they go, and this time they make up a little plan, okay? We're going to have our best, most elite fighters over here, Israel. And when they come out, what we're going to do is we're going to kind of draw away and like make it look like we're defeated. But we're going to have all these other men in ambush. And when they're far enough away from the city, we're going to go into the city and take it. And when we destroyed everything in there and you see the puff of smoke going up, then they'll know what to do. And here's what happens. Listen, look at verse 40. But when the cloud began to rise from the city in the column of smoke, the Benjamites looked behind them, and there was a whole city going up in smoke to heaven. And when the men of Israel turned back, the men of Benjamin panicked, for they saw that disaster had come upon them. Therefore they turned their backs before the men of Israel in the direction of the wilderness. But the battle overtook them, and whoever came out of the cities were destroyed in their midst. Let's skip down to 47. But 600 men turned and fled toward the wilderness to the Rock of Ramon. And they stayed at the Rock of Ramon for four months. And the men of Israel turned back against the children of Benjamin and struck them down with the edge of the sword from every city, men and beasts, all who were found. They, were also, they also set fire to all the cities they came to. Man, in their, what happened... So, these guys, they come out, all this stuff happens. And then they defeat them and they run and they flee. The Benjamite people do. 600 of these guys take refuge in the wilderness at the Rock of Ramon. Not Ramon's the rock band, Rock of Ramon. And they hide out there and they're safe. But Israel in their rampage, in their fury, goes to every single Benjamite city, wipes out every man, woman, and child, so that all that is left right now is 600 men of Benjamin. Now, I don't know about you, but I was thinking at this point that this mess could have been avoided. If you were in the city of Gibeah with your 26,000 men, and there are 400,000 men outside saying, give up the men who are guilty, who would give up the men that were guilty? 
All right, a few of you. Okay. That's what I would have done. The men of Gideon, Gideon could have surrendered the guilty men and been done with this whole thing. And that leads me to the second point, And that is that peace comes when I surrender to God. Peace comes when I surrender to God. I mean, these guys wouldn't surrender. I don't know. Maybe they thought that they could handle this situation. I mean, they did have this elite group of 700 people. And they could sling a rock and hit a target within a hair's distance. With, a, with, with that much accuracy. And think about it. David killed a giant with one stone in a sling, right? Maybe they're thinking, hey, we can just wipe out these people. We can handle it. We can deal with this. Maybe it's right that we should hand them over. But instead, we're not going to do it. And because they won't surrender, it brings their world down around them. Because they won't give up. These guys suffer greatly. In fact, their whole tribe is all but wiped out because they will not surrender. And it's an important lesson here for you and me to understand. When we hold on to things in our lives, when we don't surrender them to God, we're inviting turmoil and chaos into our lives. What do I mean? Listen, I have a friend from high school. His name is Scott Keir. So... We went to high school in the 80s, and I still am good friends with him. We, I grew up in Massachusetts. That's where we lived. And his parents always vacationed in Florida. It's Sanibel Island. You guys probably have heard of that. So he now lives in L.A. I live in Florida. And a year ago, he came to vacation with his parents in Sanibel. He's like, John, I'm going to be local. Let's go. Let's hang out. So I went over there, and I'm hanging out with him. And you know how it is when you're with buddies from high school and stuff, and we're talking about all the old stories and with his parents and everything, and my wife Carolina's with me, and she's in shock finding out all these things about me that she never knew. And, and then at one point, her mom, Mrs. Mrs. Keir, walks into the back room, and she comes out with this envelope. And she's like, hey, John, this envelope is for you. I'm like, really? And she's like, yeah. Do you remember when you were about 15 years old, you guys couldn't drive, I drove you, Scott, and a few of your friends to the Woodstock Fair. And when we got to the Woodstock Fair, I forgot my money, and I didn't have the entrance fee, and you lent me $6 so I could get in. Here's your $6 back in an envelope. I opened it up, and $6 was there. She'd been carrying it around for 25 years. I'm like, are you nuts? I'm thinking inside. I didn't say that, you know. I'm like, this should be a whole lot more with that, with interest. No. <laughs> I'm like, are you crazy? I don't need six bucks. Why did, you, why did you carry this for 26 years? I really hope you didn't lose any sleep over it. Seriously. I'm like, that's insane. And, uh, but here's the thing. Like this envelope that Mrs. Keir was carrying around for 25 years, we can carry stuff around with us. Only it's not an envelope with $6 in it. Maybe it's something more like unforgiveness. We can't let go of that person who has wronged us. Or maybe it's some kind of control in an area of our life, like our possessions or our finances, our career, our relationships. Or maybe it's a bad habit that we just refuse to face is actually glaring, us, glaring at us in our lives like anger or pride, selfishness or envy. And we won't surrender them. And maybe like the, ben, the men of Benjamin... We think it's best that we just like handle that ourselves. No, 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 I can take care of it. The only problem is this. When we take on full control of our issues, we also take on the full responsibility of them. That's what happened to the men of Gibeah, right? They took on the full responsibility of the guilt of these men because they wouldn't surrender them. 
When we won't forgive, we resume all of the regret. All of the continual reliving of the pain when we will not surrender to forgiveness. And when we won't surrender our possessions, our relationships, maybe our finances or our careers, whatever it is, we struggle with trying to be the Lord and King over those things, don't we? And we can lose sleep. We can feel sometimes that we don't know what's going to happen. We can have doubt and worry. Because, man, that's our baby. And when we don't deal with our bad habits, we cycle through relationships like crazy because it just keeps destroying them. You know, we don't need to be the CEO of the universe. We don't have to be in control of everything. God's design is for peace in your life, and it begins with surrender. Here's a verse in in your outline. It says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you for... Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. Only when we turn these things over to God can God then deal with them. See, had the Benjamin people delivered the guilty men, not only would they have not been destroyed and felt the consequences of it, but they actually didn't even have to punish these guys because the men of Israel would have taken care of it for them, Right? And that's what happens when we surrender the things in our lives to God like that. We don't have to worry about it and we don't even have to take care of it. God will take care of it when we make Him the King and Lord of those things in our lives. There's something happens when we give control to God over an area of our life. You won't worry about it so much because it doesn't depend on your strength and your ability anymore. You've given it to God and now it's about Him, not about what me or I can accomplish or what you can accomplish. It's what God can do. And despite all the outward circumstances, you will find a peace because it belongs to God. And you will experience a peace like you have never known. Listen to what God says to us. But be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and minds through Jesus Christ. That type of peace that we search for so desperately is right here when we turn it over to God. We don't even understand why we can be at peace. But it happens because God allows it. Listen, I don't want to leave you hanging in the story. We're not going to read any more from 21, but I'm going to tell you what happens. The men of Israel wipe out all these cities, all the people. There's only 600 men left at the Rock of Ramon. And they go, God, what have we just done? They wake up from this stupor that they were in, this crazed frenzy, and they say, we have almost wiped out a complete tribe of Benjamin. And when they had all gathered together at Mitzvah, they swore that they wouldn't give any of their daughters to the men of Benjamin to be married to them. So they're like, how are these guys going to continue? They need to marry some, an Israelite, and we've all sworn upon death that we're not going to give them a wife. So they get together and they said, okay, was there any city, when we all gathered together at Mitzvah, that didn't come up because we did send a decree that if they didn't come, it would be death. And so there's this city that didn't do it. So they're like, all right, let's go. And they attack this city and they kill every man, woman, and child except for any woman who is a virgin. And from that city, they get 400 women. And so they go and they go to the Rock of Ramon. They say, listen, we're calling out peace to you. Come on out here. We've got 400 brides for you. 
But there was still a problem. There was 200 brides missing. And they're like, well, what are we going to do? Well, every year at a certain time, they had a festival in Shiloh where the tabernacle was. And what would happen was these women would come out, the virgins, by the vineyards, and they would dance their dances. And so what they said is, all right, come here, you 200 guys who are left. You guys hide in the vineyard. And when the women come out and they start dancing, you run out and you grab one. That's what they, it's true. So they hid and when they came out, they grabbed them. And they're like, hey, look, Luke, I just got me a wife. You know, it's like, you just, I'm like, this is crazy. And so now the tribe of Benjamin will survive. And that's the end of the story. The last verse ends like this. We read it already today. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. The book of Judges is a picture of us, to us of what happens when everyone does whatever they want. Chaos, unrest, oppression, incredible violence. But if we were to follow the Jewish timeline a little bit farther down from this story, we would see in a very short period of time that the people of Israel start crying out for a king. God, would you appoint a king over us? Because if you appoint a king over us, then we won't have to deal with these issues anymore. There will be peace. We won't have oppression. We'll be ruled well. But the problem is, they really didn't need another king. They needed to have God reign in their hearts. But God appointed an earthly king for them anyway. And after them, there were a series of kings that came. But not any one of those kings was able to bring peace that Israel was seeking. And these kings were only a picture of a heavenly king that God was to send later. And that brings us to our final point, that peace comes from receiving God's Son. Peace comes from receiving God's Son. God would send a king to deliver Israel, His very own Son. Only it wasn't exactly what Israel expected. They believed that there was a special king, a Messiah that was coming, and he would bring in a period of peace and prosperity. Listen to this verse. It says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. And in his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Listen, this Jesus guy that came on the scene was nothing like they expected. He didn't come with an army. He came with 12 guys. He didn't come to conquer. He came to die. And they thought their future king was going to bring peace to their physical world. I mean, they thought that he was going to be a military leader that freed them from the oppressive rule of the Roman government. The people were looking for peace The world delivers, not peace that God brings. And they didn't realize that he came to deliver them from sin. There's this interesting story that happens in the New Testament. As Jesus comes to the city of Jerusalem one day, he rides, he starts riding on a donkey into the city. And all the, many of the people of the city, the multitudes of people start coming out and they're laying down palm branches and they're laying out their coats so that he wouldn't touch the ground. Because they were worshiping him. And they were singing psalms of praise like, Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They were crying out. And this was very, this was indicative of the Messiah who was to come, this special king. 
And now here were the elite leaders of Israel who looked on, the Pharisees, those who controlled basically the spiritual temperature at that time. And they looked on and they said, do you hear what these guys are calling you? They're calling you the king. You need to tell them to be quiet. And Jesus says, listen, if I was to tell them to be quiet, then even the rocks, the very rocks, would cry out this same thing. Because I am that king. And these guys didn't get it. And Israel as a whole rejected their king when he came. And they didn't recognize that Jesus was the king that God was sending. Jesus, as he's approaching, getting closer to the city, he looks on and he says something very interesting. And I put it in your outline. It says this, as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially this day, the things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you in on every side, and level you and your children with you to the ground, and they will, leave, will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. You didn't know that your king had come. They totally missed it. Because they thought that deliverance from Rome was going to bring them peace. They thought that the physical circumstances around them would bring them inner peace. But the inner peace that they were looking for is not found in the things of this world. There's a statement that you guys may have heard yesterday, last night, and you, you generally hear it around Christmas or the end of the Christmas day, and it goes like this. Didn't it go so quickly? Right? All this build-up, the shopping, the wrapping of presents, the running around for one day that goes seems to go like that. And that's kind of what life is like, right? All the things that life promises, yes, we enjoy them for a moment, but then it doesn't bring any lasting peace into our lives. Listen, there was a time that I believed that the world could bring me peace. I really did. I thought that my circumstances were the key to my happiness. After all, everywhere I looked, right, everyone else seemed to be getting it. I mean, the commercials were telling me that. I thought maybe if I could find it by partying, I would, I would get that peace or the thing that I was looking for. Or if I had the right relationship that it would work. Or I found it maybe in money or my career. I thought maybe it could be found in the car that I drove or the place that I lived. But those things only satisfy temporarily, just like Christmas morning. It's only temporary. You see, the problem is those things can never address the real issue. None of those things could address the brokenness that was inside of me because of my sin. And it will never address the brokenness that's inside of you either because you can't find it in this world. The answer to inner peace is found only in God. According to the Bible, it's found through the sacrifice of Jesus. You see, God sent His Son, this King, to die in my place. He came to this earth. He lived a perfect life, a life that I couldn't live. And then He gave it all away to take my place in judgment. Everything that I sinned, all the things that I earned, He took for me. 
He was the king that died for me and he died for you. Every single person in this room. And the only way you will ever have inner peace is when you understand that. And the way to receive that is to actually make him your Lord and Savior. You make him your king. And that's when you receive the peace that comes with having a right relationship with God again. Because it's not what you can do, it's what Jesus did on the cross. This is a verse you guys probably have heard at this time of year. Maybe many times, but if you haven't, I want you to listen closely. It says this about the coming king. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Because he came to bring peace into your heart. Listen, next week is New Year's. You'll come back next Sunday and we'll already be in the new year. And also comes with an opportunity for you and me to move away from the chaos and the craziness that maybe we experienced last year and to do it differently. Listen, the points in these outlines are the things that will lead us to peace. If you want peace in your life and to get rid of the chaos, begin to follow what God has commanded us to do. That's why it's there. Surrender those things to God that you've been holding on to that are causing stress and strife and worry and pain in your life. He wants to take it anyway. And finally, if you've never done this, if you've never made Jesus your Lord and Savior, then maybe you should consider doing that today. Listen, I'm going to pray and close this message. And at the end of the prayer, I'm going to ask each of us to close our eyes and bow our heads and just repeat some simple words. Because the question is, how do I receive him as my king, as my Lord, as my Savior? It's simply by articulating that to him. Just by saying that. And so what I do is I'll say a prayer. And maybe it's words that I'm saying, but it comes from your heart to receive him as your king forever so that he can bring the peace that you've been searching for all your life. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes peace does seem so hard to find in our lives and in this world. Lord, I pray that we would understand that these things, these points today, are the things that you've designed to lead us to peace in our lives. And it's your desire, Lord, that we would have it. Lord, I pray for every person here, that as they consider the new year, as they consider it even tomorrow, that we would begin practicing these in our lives. Lord, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Listen, keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. And listen, I'm going to pray a prayer to God. And what I'd like you to do, I'd like everyone here to repeat it. And it's just your way of accepting God, Jesus as your Savior. So let's pray with me now, if you will. Dear God, I've sinned against you. I need your forgiveness. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. Right now, I receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior, as my King and friend, from this day forever. Amen.